When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today... We have a ton to go over. Kansas had three games this last time that we podcasted. I'm sorry, the Kansas men have. The Kansas women have had two, uh, which didn't go so great. But I do have a guest coming on to actually talk about women's basketball in our second segment of the day. Uh, so we'll kind of hold off on that. But we also have a football, uh, I, I don't want to say hiring because Kansas didn't hire anyone. They lost somebody uh, to a hiring at a different location. So help me break all of that down and try to do it. And as quickly as, you know, as, as quickly as we possibly can, because I don't want the episode to be two hours long. It is Kyle Davis, my deputy editor over Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm good. Um, like a lot of parents in the Lawrence, Kansas City area, I'm just celebrating that my kids went to school today. So, you know, that, yeah. that, yes, that is, that is cause for celebration here. I know it's a miracle. It's a minor miracle when the kids go to school after how cold it has been, uh, in the last few weeks. So, all right, let's dive in. Speaking of cold. Um, we're just going to dive in right in the middle, actually, of this Kansas three-game stretch because while Kansas started hot in the first, you know, four minutes of the game, uh, I'm sorry, in the first half of the game, it seemed like they went kind of cold in the second half um, and ended up losing to West Virginia. I, I mean, do we want to start there? Is there anything that came out of that particular game that either really worries you or that you think is going to be a long-term issue for the Jayhawks? I think that one's a pretty – the West Virginia game is a pretty good um, representation of, in a single-game sample size, weird bleep happens. Like, you know, you, I don't know how many times an opponent, let alone West Virginia, because they're not going to do it again this year. They're not going to start 9 of 11 from 3 again this year. Um, I don't think, and I don't know who else will from a Kansas opponent standpoint, maybe Baylor has the potential to, but I think, um, <clears throat> I think it was one of those things where sure. Some of the themes that we're going to talk about that are on the weakness side for Kansas were present there, but like they probably still win that game. You, you simulate that game a hundred times. They win it, you know, 85 times probably and be, because West Virginia normally will not go 57% from three. And in the first half, it was in the sixties. I think it was 64%. Like they are a 30% three point shooting team on the year. Most of the time they go, you know, for 22, um, like kind of we saw Cincinnati last night. And then this is a different game. And, and so, yeah, it's hard to, because of that drastic outlier, it's hard to judge too much. Um, 
because this is, you know, this that game was the reason why upsets happen in March Madness. Like one game sample, sample size, weird stuff happens. One team just just can't miss. Now, there's some other things to talk about, which I think we saw it here, and we definitely saw it in Cincinnati, where I think there are some, uh, I think there's some health and like maybe tiredness issues. We heard after the game that Kevin McCullers' knees banged up. We knew that Hunter Bruce's knee in the TCU game, they just looked a step slow. And I think we've seen that, and we can talk about that. We can talk about the rebounding. But I'm not sure, again, that was the the necessarily the the reason for the loss, except for West Virginia was insanely hot, and Kansas's offensive shooting, especially from deep, is inconsistent. And in the second half, like that, when Kansas really needed a bucket from the outside, they just could not get anyone to make one. Yeah, I mean, and and you look at the Ken Palm, you know, like the, uh, the you know, tracking the the winning percentage throughout the end of the game, the, that win probability, and and it took until deep in the second half when West Virginia was ahead by you know five or so before it really swung over to West Virginia um, for for quite a while, like. It still looked like Kansas was going to come over or come in and take over the game and win. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that West Virginia, I mean, it looked at first in the, in the second half that they were going to stop making threes, but then they kept making them. And that's not one of those things that you can really control for. You know, I saw a lot of people and, and Bill Self himself said, you know, that they didn't really play great defense, but I'm sorry. You look in that first half. Like, I think that's him just getting onto his guys when he can get onto his guys because the first half, I mean, yeah, they sagged off at three-point shooters a little bit, but these were guys that don't typically make three-point shots at that clip or anywhere close to that clip. And so sagging off them a little bit to make sure that you're guarding inside, I mean, yeah, I, I completely understand it. And even after West Virginia had made as many as they did, they're still not a, a team that you think can sustain that over the course of an entire game. So could they have closed out a little bit more? Yeah. If this was an, an NCAA tournament game, would they have closed out a little bit more? Oh, for sure. But I think when you're in the middle of conference play and you, you know, you're trying to make sure that you're one playing sound defense overall, you know, seeing things that guys can kind of build on and you're trying to avoid having to deal with extra injuries, you don't sell out quite as much to stop a three point. Like if they're going to have a, a hell of a three point shooting night, you just kind of say, congratulations. Like you earned that one because you shot like, like, like crazy. I don't know that I look at that game as anything other than Kansas got got by a team that absolutely was just lighting it up. And especially when you know that West Virginia's best offense is getting to the line. Like their offense is driving to the paint, drawing fouls, and getting to the free throw line. And so, again, if you're Kansas and you have depth issues and a bench production, you know, uh, liability to a certain extent – you're right. You do not want to get beaten on the perimeter by closing out too hard on shooters who are not statistically good three-point shooters, only to then have to catch up and, and have silly fouls, get into foul trouble, and then give them free points to the line. So, yeah, I don't think necessarily – sure, the defense could have been a little tighter, but, again, this one's one of those where they were also making just some ridiculous heater threes right. that, like, most of the time just, you know, you yeah. don't go in, and that's some of the times where you just – yeah, you tip your cap. This this was the epitome of process over result. I think the process of forcing West Virginia to shoot a whole bunch of threes, something that they're not typically good at, was the right thing to do. Obviously, the result looks bad, and the fact that they were able to upset you makes you, you know, 
little bit upset, but the fact is this was the right process that probably would have won you that game, you know, 97 times out of a hundred. So I'm not really that concerned about it at this point. Um, especially coming off the heels of, you know, that game against Oklahoma state to, you know, earlier in the week where they just absolutely went down to Stillwater and obliterated Oklahoma state. I don't know that there's really much that we can take from that game. Oklahoma state has a ton of issues. You know, you had the guys that you expected to step up, um, in that game, actually go ahead and step up. The only thing that I will say, um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the emergence for Johnny Furphy. Um, you know, kind of seeing him, he was the MVP according to Ken Palm in that game with six rebounds and 15 points. Um, you know, I thought he, well, and he also had two blocks. Like he was all over the place doing a ton of stuff. And, and I think that you saw that just how great of a player he's kind of turned into. Obviously he struggled, um, against West Virginia after starting out really hot, but, you know, this is a, a freshman, I think, that has finally hit his stride. I think that's the big story to take out of the Oklahoma State game is that that was kind of the the beginning of that. Um, so let's just jump right into the Cincinnati game where, I mean, it was a, as close to a furphy game as you're ever going to get. Yeah, it's 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 the hot start. No one starts a game better than Johnny Furphy, as we've learned, as a starter. Like, those first four minutes are his, and, uh, and it's not just the scoring. It's the rebounding, too, and... Offensive rebounding, if we go back, <clears throat> absolutely crushed Kansas at the end of the game, especially Johnny Furphy gave up several offensive rebounds from West Virginia, most notably on uh, missed free throw that then caused more fouls and kept the game going. So you could tell that he was a little more um, locked in on the rebounding battle. And even, you know, that the his second three was off his own grabbing an offensive rebound, swinging the ball around, going set back up in the perimeter and then knocking down a shot. And so, um, there's still some defensive issues with Johnny Perfect. He still looks maybe a, a tad slow guarding the ball. There's also somewhere, I mean, in the second half, he couldn't have slid his feet any better, and they still call him for a whistle. So there's a, a couple of those. But in the first half, he was just he was getting beat a little bit. But you take all the good of Johnny Furphy in your starting lineup and what he brings and the energy and the rebounding, the scoring and the outside threat over some of the defensive liabilities. And this is where, you know, I think too. I think something, I think that knee is probably bothering Hunter Dickinson more than we realize because there's really not a, he was never a rim protector, but he looked a step slow even going, coming around on help defense on, on some of these plays with Johnny. So I think it's a, it's kind of a multitude of things, but I mean, yeah, what, um, you know, I, what else could you ask for, um, from a, from a player who not only is, yes, he's a freshman, but he's, he came to school late, like he missed the Puerto Rico trip. It was a late, you know, late thing. He's adjusting to a brand new culture and playing overseas and a new, new rules, regulations, and and just the, the style, the basketball, everything like that. Um, I, I think he's completely earned self's trust, and you can see I think he's earned the trust of the guys around him. And it's one of those things where he he embodies uh, KJ a little bit in that, like. They will make mistakes, but their energy is going to override some of those mistakes. Like Johnny's making mistakes, especially on defense. The good thing that you like to see is that he is being scrappy and his his hustle and just trying to be everywhere and making the right pass is at least somewhat making up for some of those mistakes. Yeah, I mean, and, and you look at it like if the game was only four minutes long, then Johnny Furphy would be the national player of the year. That's how fantastic he is in the first four minutes of a game. I mean – I think the last two games at home, especially against Oklahoma and then against, uh, and then against Cincinnati in this last one, um, you know, his first four minutes 
before he goes and sits on the bench for a little bit. You know, he, he, he is the leading scorer. He's getting multiple offensive rebounds. He's making a ton of hustle plays. He's getting a couple steals. Like he's just doing everything on the floor, um, in that kind of time period. And you notice a very big drop off in terms of the energy levels when he comes off of the floor. Um, and that's, I mean, that's all you can ask for at this point. I do think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that Hunter Dickinson, you know, Bill Self basically said, yeah, I mean, he's, he's really banged up. He's been dealing with a knee. You look, it look, you like, you look at Hunter Dickinson. It doesn't look like he can jump very well. Like, that's how bad it is. And, he looks a step slow. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and, and Bill Self said afterwards, like, this was one of the games that they had circled as a potential game that they could try to give McCuller and Dickinson a little bit of extra rest. Um, you know, try to not go so big so that way they could get the most out of this period of time to, you know, rest with the extra couple days before they have to go up to Iowa State. And unfortunately, they just weren't able to do that because of the way that this game went. Um, but, you know, I, it was extremely clear that Kevin McCuller was struggling. Um, I think a lot of that, like, it was a combination of him being a step slow because of his knee issues. Uh, but I also just think that he, you know, the how physical the game was kind of got to him a little bit. You saw him complaining to the refs multiple times. And, I mean, I, I don't know that he was wrong. Like, this was a game where I had a Cincinnati guy sitting right next to me, uh, you know, Cincinnati media guy, and we were talking back and forth just about how horrible the refs were for both sides. Um, like, they were letting tons of contact go, and then two minutes later they would switch it up and be like, yeah, we're going to call all the touch fouls. Um, it, it was just – it was absolutely ridiculous just how much people were getting clobbered. I also thought that Hunter Dickinson kind of got the raw deal on – on three of his personal fouls, like the first one um, that they talk about where he was like, you know, it was, it was going to be an offensive rebound. Um, Kansas was going to go ahead and score again. And Hunter Dickinson got called for a foul in the lane. If you actually go back and look at the recap, the Cincinnati player actually had hooked his arm and then tried to like pull him down <laughs> and Hunter gets called for the foul. And it's like, because Hunter's so much taller and it looks like he's pulling when really all he's doing is, you know, putting his hands up, um, you know, he, he got called for that. And then there was later in the game, uh, where, you know, KJ Adams probably should have been called for a foul for a challenge that he had. Ball goes out of bounds off of him instead. And then the very next play, Hunter gets called for the foul there. And so he got a little, you know, it was, it was not very much contact at all. Seemed to be a makeup call. There was a lot of those, unfortunately. Um, it just, it seemed like Kansas was out of rhythm for a good portion of the night. And thankfully, Johnny Furphy was there to really kind of, you know, make all those free throws at the end to just do whatever he needed to do to keep this team going. It does seem like this, <clears throat> it was very clear that um, the, you uh, well, one, so you look at it, when was the last time that, that Kansas played two games in three days? I think you can tell, like, especially coming from back from, from Christmas break. And then there's a lot of uh, Saturday and then Tuesday, Wednesday, like I think a road trip on Saturday, you get home late from West Virginia because that's your long, That's one of your longest road trips of the year. One day of rest, and then you're playing another game against a, a, a physical team, and you're banged up. Like Kevin McCullough's jumper looked short on everything, and I think the knee explains that a lot. He just he doesn't look like he's getting enough lift on the ball. Um, you know, again, we talked about Hunter. Like they, Juan was kind of all over the place a bit, it, but it looked like they, especially in that second half, because you know the the they would get it up to seven or nine and then Cincinnati would immediately fire back and four straight points. And it looked like a team who I think you, the combination of the short turnaround and not being used to it again, which this is good. This is good kind of, I guess, practice again and getting ready for March. 
um, being banged up and relying so many minutes on your starters that they're just, they looked tired at the end. So I think, you know, winning that one against Cincinnati hadn't lost a game in the big 12 by more than four points before last night. So it's not like this is a team who had been getting routed over and over again. And and it's not also because they've been playing nobody's like, they only lost by to Oklahoma by four. They only lost to Baylor by four. Right. Uh, they was, went in and Kansas and, was, or they've played now six games in the Big Twelve Conference, and every single one of those games has been against a top twenty-five team. Right. They beat BYU. It BYU. They beat TCU. Like they've they've um, they've lost to Texas by one in a game they shouldn't have because if you just go back and like you know YouTube right. first the, the last of that game. So this was not like you know I saw some of that. It's like oh man, we you know. Can't believe we only beat them by seven. It's like, no, that's a really good team. Like Wes Miller's done a really good job with that team, uh, and they do not stop for forty minutes. And they it, uh, that team looks like one of the hardest teams to try and blow out uh, in the com- in the country. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of things. I I think it's as rough as that game was to watch. And again, these are not necessarily excuses for the bad plays. These are trying to figure out like maybe some of the causes for it. It's good that there's five days before heading up to Ames now. Some of it still could be injury related, but if they still just look slow and losing all the 50 50 balls and, you know, the, the turnovers are still a problem. They're getting out rebound all over the place. That might be part of a larger concern, but I do think you would have to think that you're going to see a little bit more energy with a little more rest here and using this week to try and get guys right. Um, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Before that game. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to be honest. You probably also don't see Dewan Harris make as many just silly mistakes. Um, you know, I, I think I think that it's been said by multiple people, and Bill actually was saying it last night that you know when you expect a guy to have tons of assists, he's also going to have a lot of turnovers because he's going to be pushing and he's going to be trying to find those assists in places where you normally wouldn't get them. Um, I, I don't know that I'm that upset about Dewan Harris having five turnovers, especially since Kansas was only credited with eleven. I, honestly, I think they had more. I, I was a little. We, like I thought the stats here were a little bit weird. There was at least three or four blocks for Kansas that didn't get credited as blocks. The only block that they had on the entire night was one hundred Dickinson block. I know that Furphy had one. I know that Kevin McCuller had one on a three. Like there was there was plenty of just weird things. Or like Dewan Harris got blocked and they didn't call it as a block. It's just like I don't know what was going on with the stats last night. But for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I just think that there was a lot of weirdness around this game. That makes it so that you can't, again, you can't use this, I think, for long term, other than the fact that, you know, Kansas found a way to win against a quality opponent. Cincinnati is definitely a quality opponent at home when you didn't have nearly what you would expect from, you know, three of your top four guys. Like, I think KJ Adams gave you about what you expected. You know, he's not going to be the guy every single night. Um, he's going to have these nights where he, you know, gets double digit points and kind of just hangs around there and does some of the hustle plays and things like that. But I think you expected more from Dewan Harris uh, in terms of less turnovers, more assists, and kind of just not the boneheaded turnovers that he freely admitted about. Um, and then Kevin McCuller and Hunter Dickinson, you know, obviously being slow. Like, you didn't get your best from any of them, but Kansas found a way to win and win, I think, fairly convincingly. So the only other the end of January and Sorry, I was just going to say, the end of January and early February is also just one of those times where, like, it, it's kind of the black hole of the season, right? Like, it just kind right. of trenches on. You're just in a grind. You don't have a lot of time off. You're, like, you're banged up. Like, this is not necessarily I – th- I think we can both admit that <clears throat> there are some weaknesses on this team that, like, other teams are going to try and take advantage of in March, but also that this result doesn't necessarily um, 
indicate that like the season's now a bust or anything like that. So it's, it's one of those things where this, you know, there's still a lot of time left. If you've seen how much Johnny Furby's grown in two weeks, imagine what he could look like in a month. Hopefully El Marco Jackson gets there a little bit too. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's not the end of the world there by any means. And if you want to end it on a good note, I, I did look this up because I was curious. Do you want to know, take a guess at how many, so since 2010, nice round number, uh, Johnny Furphy had 23 and 11 last night. We've mentioned, you know, how many Jayhawks have had 23 and 11 or more, obviously. So a double-double with at least 23 points, at least 11 rebounds since 2010. You want to take a guess at how many different players have done it. So not who did it multiple times, like not how many total times, but how many individual players um, before Johnny Furphy. I want to say that it's actually a lot lower than you might think. I, I want to say it's probably about five. <laughs> It's a little bit more than that. It's it's he is number twelve. Oh wow! Okay, so it, it is more than I thought. But he's only the third guard. So him, Josh Jackson, and Andrew Wiggins, who are technically the only guards to do it. Um, but literally the other one, you've got the Morris twins, you've got Doke, you've got Deidre Glosson, you have Hunter Dickinson from this team, D. Rob, Jalen Wilson. Uh, actually, uh, I don't know. Maybe some people would be surprised by this. David McCormick did it once, um, and then Perry Ellis on here, and like that's that's the list. So that's pretty good company for a freshman uh from australia just to throw that out there i'm not saying that he's all of a sudden gonna be um have the career even who knows how long he'll be here but uh yeah if you want i feel like a lot of kansas online kansas fans and accounts feel like the sky is falling a little bit if you want some good news just put johnny furphy's name next to all of them on what he did on Monday. Yeah, that's a, that's actually uh, – that's an awesome stat to end on. And speaking of good news, um, you know, just recently announced here that our sponsor here on the podcast, Charlie Hustle, has a very special promotion going on. Charlie Hustle is, the, is a vintage college – or I guess a vintage clothing company focusing on – local and hometown sports they have their base right here in kansas city and have all kinds of great stuff they not only have all the chiefs playoff stuff for all that going on but they have some fantastic kansas shirts just absolutely ridiculously awesome and they announced this week as part of coaches versus cancer week uh they have partnered with bill self and a few other coaches in the local area uh to put on a little bit of a competition um if you go over to charliehustle.com you can take a look at what they have there uh there is a a a, a coach self shirt that if you buy 25% of the proceeds go to coaches versus cancer. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit of a competition to see who can raise the most. So I highly recommend you go over there and take a look at it. It is a fantastic shirt, uh, just like everything that Charlie Hustle has, but they have so much great stuff. Um, and we definitely need to help do everything we can to help support and get those bragging rights out there for coach self. Um, but charliehustle.com, if you, if you go out there, take a look and find anything else that you want, you can use promo code, uh, 101215. That's T E N 1215 to get 15% off of all non-sale items. Technically, I don't believe the self-shirt is a sale item, but I also don't believe that that will apply to that particular one just because it is, you know, a charitable, a charitable, uh, drive there. But again, charliehustle.com, 10, 12, 15, gets you 15% off of all non-sale items. Just all kinds of fantastic stuff over there. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. Before we jump over to women's basketball, I did want to finish up with just a little bit of football and maybe look ahead over to Iowa State, depending on how much time we have. Um, but, you know, the news dropped that Jordan Peterson, guy that just got promoted to co-offense or co-defensive coordinator, the cornerbacks coach that I think uh, everybody knows was very instrumental in guys like Kobe Bryant and R- Romello Dotson staying when Leipold came over. 
um, but then also kind of staying this year as well. Uh, he gets hired on to be the safeties coach over at Texas A&M under new head coach Mike Elko. Um, so Kansas does not avoid, you know, losing coaches to, you know, already lost Andy Kotelnicki, now losing Jordan Peterson. And any worry about Peterson leaving? I, it feels like a bigger deal, I think, than, than Kotelnicki potentially, just because of all the rest of, you know, what's been going on there. Um you know, Kotelnicki has been absolutely fantastic, but I do think that there's enough of that offensive staff coming back and, you know, getting Grimes to come in and kind of run it that it feels like they're going to be able to go without missing a beat. I'm not sure I can say the same thing with Jordan Peterson leaving. Yeah, and so for those who don't know, he's a Texas A&M alum. He's from that area. His, I believe his wife's from that area. So, like, I think this was less of a, you know, that's one where it was probably – Kotelnicki's, it seemed like it was mainly just like a, a purely business decision, you know, move on to BBOC at Penn State. I think Peterson's was probably, there's probably some like emotional family attachment there, which makes it hard to blame him. But yes, it is a big loss. I mean, he not only was, um, not only was he uh, uh, big with the current guys, keeping them and and happy and how much they love them. And if you want to follow any of them on social media, you'll figure out how very quickly, how much they, they love uh, Jordan Peterson. But he was also big in a lot of the recruiting. And I think it, it's not a surprise uh, or a shock that like, as soon as the word started coming out, uh, Lance Leipold was down in desert edge, making sure um, his, his guys were still happy and good. And thankfully, uh, for Kansas fans, you've seen uh, like um, Deshaun Warner, obviously being the top one, but not the only one. Also, uh, Austin or, or sorry, Andre Gibson as well in there, both tweeted out, you know, that basically there's... reaffirming their support. Right. They're still on board, like nothing's changed, that sort of thing. And so that is good. I think the the, the the that's a big one to lose. I think the good thing is it's very clear that Leipold and he talks a lot about culture. I think he is built the culture to weather these kind of hits because this is what's going to happen. Like when you become a more legitimate program that's winning uh, and you are really showing out at a place that, that hasn't happened and you're putting up big numbers and you've got guys like Kobe Bryant who are getting really highly rated and in PFF and whatnot, like there's going to be other programs that are going to come calling for your coordinators. Uh, So like, this is going to be, it's one of those things where it, stinks it's also kind of a shy it's, it's kind of a sign that you're doing it right as well i mean you know you don't no one's going out to to no one's going out to hire brian ferentz right now uh the former iowa offensive coordinator uh and, and poach him for a job so Why i do think this one <laughs> uh, i i i we yeah. could spend we could spend I mean, like 45 minutes on oh that, gosh but, i know yeah no this one hurts but it's also kind of understandable and like you said i think that the main difference here and, and what we've seen in the past is that when Kansas pulls big name guys and gets big name guys to stay, it's because of an individual positional coach. And when that positional coach leaves, those guys have typically left. What we've seen here, and I, I have a hard time imagining that Jordan Peterson, you know, there wasn't any kind of inkling that this might happen, especially when Elko got that job. But I think the fact that you have, no, you know, they bring in, like Jordan Peterson may have been the lead recruiter for in any number of guys. Um, but the way that this recruiting happens on this campus, which is a lot different. L- l- let me tell you, it's a lot different than what Les Miles was doing. And even David Beatty, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's definitely a team effort in terms of the recruiting, making sure that 
guys have multiple touch points with the program so that if one guy does leave, that there are still, you know, three or four people with the program that can go to that guy, have built a relationship and can reassure them that, hey, everything's going to be fine. Like, yeah, he's leaving to go take this great opportunity. We all feel really great for him. But you still have an opportunity to make a huge impact here. And we, you know, we know what what you're doing, what you're going through, everything like that. So it's been fantastic for the Jayhawks to be able to have that plan in place, to be able to have those that that ability to be able to pull those guys. So, all right. Um, anything else about football? No, it's been kind of a whirlwind couple of weeks, but yeah. so hopefully it kind of dies down soon. I know there's still some some it's, discussion about when the schedule gets released and where they're going to be playing and all that logistics. But I think right now, still you you take it now. Obviously, of course, like as we're talking, uh, it, the, the reports out there that Chargers are getting close to uh, coming to terms with Jim Harbaugh, so there yeah. will be another Power Five job open. I think that one. Uh, Shaheen Moore, the uh, offensive coordinator, and did such a good job. I would have to imagine that he's like the top guy yeah, for I that mean, job. I'm not, I'm not worried but. about Leipold going up to Michigan. One, I think if he really wanted a job with that kind of level of pressure, he might have listened to the Washington job a little bit more. Um, but and there's I, a lot more pressure in Michigan than oh there yeah, in exactly. Washington. I'll say that. Um, I mean, right, and and it's not like I mean, yes, the the resources there are great, but. I also think that you're not going to get nearly the latitude to build the program the way that you want to up at Michigan. But, you know, the one thing I will say is that I'm not, I'm not convinced that we're done losing assistance this year, which might be a bad thing depending on who actually goes. But it also is, you know, again, one of those things you can point to is that Lance Leipold has made absolutely phenomenal hires, bringing in guys that are good enough at their jobs that other people want them. And you know that's and now like, you're at a spot with your program that you can hire other coordinators to come here who might not have wanted to come here otherwise, and that's right. why you can go right. out. You can either and fill those holes. Right, you can either like like with Jeff Grimes, you know, pull a guy who has been successful in the past and just needs a new place to go to, um, or you can pull another guy that's up and coming that you think you can help develop to where he needs to be to have a huge impact. And um, you know, that's the thing is that this Leipold and his staff have been really good about identifying people both in coaching and support capacities and individual players as well to really help push the program forward. So, all right, uh, really, really quick. Give me one thing that stands out to you about Iowa state as we're getting ready to head up to Ames to take on the Cyclones this weekend for the men. I think it, this is the, this is the Iowa state team we've come to expect under TJ Osselberger. They're very good defensively. They force a ton of turnovers. The offense is, it goes through waves. They they can get really hot, and as we saw against uh, TCU, like they had an amazing half of offense in the first half, and they really struggled to score the ball ball in the second half. And so they're not gonna they're not gonna light you up from three. Kansas, the number one thing, taking care of the basketball, not turning it over. Number two, grab offensive rebounds and don't give them multiple opportunities. And that's probably going to be it. Thankfully, it. It's one of those things where Iowa State doesn't take a ton of threes, kind of like Kansas. They're not bad at taking them, though. So, like, you gotta not give them other opportunities. But this is this is the type of like aggressive, uh, no easy baskets kind of defense that you've come to expect under Osselberger. Nothing really has has changed there. And I will say that um, uh, Lipsy has turned into like he's he's now you know got a year under his belt uh he's he's become a little bit more of a guy and they've got some good players but yeah the scoring 
unless they end up being like West Virginia from three, the scoring is not as big of a threat to Kansas um, as Kansas turning the ball over and just Kansas's offense sputtering, sputtering against that defense. Yeah, the one thing I will say is that uh, Lipsy did suffer an injury last week. He was out of uh, Saturday's game against TCU, but he is expected to play tonight, or I'm sorry, Wednesday night against Kansas State. So he he should be back. The question is going to be, is that shoulder injury, injury going to be bugging him or not? But like you said, this is a good Iowa State team regardless, especially when they're playing um, you know, up in Hilton. So I'm not expecting this to be an easy game. I do think, though, this is a game that Kansas can win as if they can, you know, stay grounded and really kind of do what it is that they need to do. The extra, the two extra days of rest compared to Iowa State are going to be, you know, extremely big, um, for, for the, this team and what they can potentially do. So, um, and I, we won't dive too much further into it here. One, because they still have another game to play before we actually match up against them. And also because I am looking, uh, at potentially doing a preview. Uh, of that game later this week. So we will uh, take a look at it there, but that's going to do it for this portion here. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break, but when we come back, we will uh, have Jamie Steyer Johnson uh, joining us to talk about women's basketball. Uh, we will be right back on the rock chalk podcast. And I am joined now by Jamie Steyer Johnson. She is the radio, I think color commentator for the Iowa state uh, women's basketball team. And of course, she is one of my co-hosts over on Monday episodes of the 1012 podcast here on the 1012 podcast network. Jamie, how you doing today? Oh my gosh, I'm great, Andy. I'm I'm getting my life together uh, to travel over to uh, your neck of the woods here this afternoon, this evening, uh, for reasons that we are in fact here to discuss. So no, I'm I'm great. I'm really excited to get going. It'll be nice to play a game after a week off. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not very happy with TCU right now because not only did you guys not have to play on Saturday, um, K-State didn't have to play before their game against Kansas. So yeah, KU, you guys get to reap all the benefits. KU got like completely triple screwed in that one because now, of course, TCU is going to be able to play. Uh, when it's time to play Kansas. So, um, yeah, last week, obviously for the Jayhawks, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to talk about it here on the podcast. So we'll just do a quick recap of the week. Look, Kansas got demolished by Texas in a game that was marred by foul trouble pretty much, you know, from the get go. I think Tana Jackson picked up her third foul, like with like two minutes left in the, in the first half or something like that. It was, it was a foul fest, um, all over the place and Kansas just never was able to, to recover. And then against Kansas State, um, you know, Kansas State without Iowa Lee, um, thought that Kansas might have a benefit. And then, of course, Tyler Jackson gets, you know, whacked in the face and leaves for the rest of the game. And then Kansas has to try to finish that game. Um, they lost both of those games. I do think that the Kansas State game, I thought, actually showed a decent amount of progress, although you can't take too many moral victories. Before we get into this Iowa State team that is coming to Allen Fieldhouse on Wednesday, um, what what were your impressions? Because I know you follow the entire Big Twelve. What were your impressions of the Jayhawks from this last week? Is it something to really worry about, or is it just the fact that you ran into two really good teams in a really bad situation? So uh, I think it's possible for it to be both in ways uh, because you 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 played two good teams. Um, I don't have Longhorn Network, so I didn't see the actual game against Texas, but uh, I don't think that there's a whole lot that the eye test would tell you that you can't get from just knowing 
the situation and seeing the box when it's a 25 point uh game and so it's it's tough but like you said foul trouble that's I mean that's really what it comes down to especially against a team like Texas that has a significant amount of length uh that is that is really their biggest strength they're they're very talented they have a deep bench but above everything else what they have is they have a lot of tall big players and so when that is mostly coming to Tina Jackson and then for her to get in foul trouble that's really tough um and that that just kind of is what it is. Uh, well, and it didn't help that deny Papadopoulou also got into foul trouble really right, early in right. the Right, Then well, you have so. your backup where, okay, we can bring her in, and it's a little bit of a drop-off, but it, you know, we can figure it out. And then she gets in foul trouble, too. I mean, to me, the the biggest thing to look at there is that in Tyana Jackson's 19 minutes on the court, she was plus five. She's the only player that was a positive in that game. And so when she played... Kansas won by five points, and and I think that that really says a lot about the difference she makes to them on the court. And so, uh, obviously, means you you've got to have uh, a little bit more discipline. But also, Texas is a team that is going to do everything in their power to force you to foul. So again, not having actually seen the film from it, uh, I will say that it was on Jackson even to be in that foul trouble. That can just that can just happen, especially against a team like. Texas uh and then Kansas State you know I was ready to say well it's it's a weird spot and this is still all true it's a weird spot you don't have Aokali and then all of a sudden here comes Tana getting clipped in the mouth and handled it really impressively like just seemed really pretty chill about it which I would not be uh if that happened to me where I'm losing teeth in the game um just kind of left the court went back to the locker room uh, was shocked when that was what Coach Brandon said happened because yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. She got hurt or whatever, and that's what happened. And let me tell you, uh, I had a teammate lose a couple teeth when I was in high school in a game, and uh, it, was, it was horrific. It was terrifying. She did go face first into the floor, so that was another level to it perhaps. But, uh... Yeah, all that to say, I feel terrible for Tana. That was a huge opportunity for Kansas. And again, having her in the game changes really everything um, because that is the thing now that K-State does not really have in spades, which is height. Uh, They're very similar to Kansas in that they have their big starting center. And then after that, they have very capable players, but nothing remotely close size-wise, skill-wise in the five. Um, but then the way that we saw Kansas State play Baylor, they're clearly a very capable team without Ioka. And this is what I kind of said over on the 10-12 this weekend, which is that they, it can go two ways. You can either really struggle because you've re-implemented Ioka and she's been the most consistent player by far on your team. Uh, and and you've come to really rely on her. And there's been some people around her that have struggled at times this season. Or you take the opportunity to get people back to playing the to the caliber that they are capable of because they have players that are just that haven't shown what they can do and have done in the past. Uh, and so if you can use that opportunity, they're going to be really threatening. Right now, it's leaning towards the latter where they're figuring stuff out much quicker than I anticipated. Uh, Eliza Muffin, who I thought had some really, really impressive minutes, though she didn't get a ton last year. I was 
blown away by her at times. She was terrific. Uh, so if they're getting people like not even the front of their bench, but deeper into like what was the eighth and ninth player in their rotation going like that, whew, they are going to be scary. So all of that to say, it's good teams that you lost to, but you are now nine and nine. And so you don't have really any leeway. Um, you are in, in pretty critical danger of not only missing the NCAA tournament, but potentially not having a record that warrants the NIT. And so that's partially because we know that the perception of the Big 12 is is often not great. And the postseason performance in the NCAA tournament last year probably didn't help that. And so you you can't leave any room for doubt. And so Kansas is at a point where they have a number of there's not one that's a well there's there's not one like toss up that's a must win but they can't drop very many games period uh and and especially at home that's going to be really crucial yeah, the biggest problem they have now, like, th- that was definitely a missed opportunity. I do think that Kansas State benefited from not having to deal with the, you know, what Tiana Jackson would cause problems mm-hmm. for them so that those other players should get into a rhythm. Um, I-, I wonder how well they would have been able to if Jackson had been in for the entire game because, you know, she took that shot and then kind of, you know, like, I don't know. Kansas fell apart after that. Um, for a while, and then came back and figured out. It's a lot to lose yeah. in game is the thing. It's it's a big mental adjustment. It's a big strategic adjustment. It's also a big difference, I think, between her getting a foul and having to go to the bench and having to play without her, but knowing that she's yes. going to come back yes. towards going, you know, as opposed to going back to the locker room and having to deal with that. So, yes. um, yeah, I, I do think Kansas is kind of in a little bit of a trouble. It, a little bit of trouble here. I, I, I mean. We're we're past the point where you think that Kansas has a realistic shot of being in contention at all for Big Twelve, just because there's too, way too many good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, like it's not realistic to expect that they're going to win every game moving forward. Um, and uh, honestly, like I think one, if they did that, that might be used against the Big Twelve as a whole, right? To have a team that came from that far back, you know, to to be able to challenge. But I mean, they're also five games behind Kansas State in the standings right now, so. <laughs> Like, yeah, there's no expectation there. I do think, one, it, it, it hurts the Jayhawks that they don't, uh, you know, Ioka Lee should be back by the time that they play them again, um, unfortunately for the Jayhawks. To some degree, yeah. Yeah. The question, of course, being how much is she actually back, but. Which I could talk about that for three hours. Yeah, but, 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 well, but also <laughs> with the rest of the team playing the way that they're playing, like, you know, it, it doesn't. Whatever you I don't get think from it, her, I'll be a boost. Right. Like, I don't think it really matters if they're, if they're actually playing this well. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kansas bounces back. And that starts with this game against Iowa State. Um, Iowa mm-hmm. State, you know, at five and one in the conference. Although I'm sorry, six and one in the conference because for some uh-huh. reason, well, for some reason, CBB analytics does not actually show the updated record. It's all going to have to be manually input since yeah. it's only for conference and not for the overall. So it's like a hot mess. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely a hot mess. Um, yeah, it's, we, and we could probably spend a good three hours talking about the whole TCU situation as well. But, they signed players. I know, I know. I saw they had three three players that uh, three walk ons on. and a volleyball player. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's a really I, good time for them to be on the off day where we're recording this on Tuesday and they're right. playing tonight, so that we can watch it and not have it conflict with our game because I gotta see it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be very interesting. I think to see how well they're able to to kind of hit the ground or running. If they even have to put them in. Anyway, yeah. But regardless. Um, 
you know, Iowa State obviously getting the benefit of the rest. In some cases, that can hurt you. Although I do, yeah, think- I'm gonna say I don't. I don't know that it's a huge benefit. Like, got to scrimmage some, play with some different lineups, but especially coming it's off funny. a tough loss, you really wish you could get back out there. Well, it's it's kind of funny. I think a team like Kansas, it would benefit immensely mm-hmm. because their mm-hmm. biggest issue is depth and health right now. Whereas Iowa State, they're mature players, they're experienced. Well, and and Iowa State has been a very hot team getting their first conference loss, trying to, you know, move forward from it. So I I do, I do wonder though, I mean, you know, we, we didn't have that much of a, you know, gap between the two games. Um, Kansas obviously, you know, holding Iowa State to, I believe it was one out of 11 in the first half in terms of three point shooting. And then Iowa State just going crazy in the second half. Do you think we, I mean, like that three point performance in the second half, is that more in line with what this Iowa State team normally is? Or is it normally somewhere in the middle between the two halves? You know, they've, they've been a very good shooting team this season. Um, Iowa State has, and then had a really rough one at Texas Tech last week. Uh, and so it's hard to say, um, especially it's hard to say how you b- bounce back from, a tough game like that and then having to sit on it for a week. Uh, but I, I do the, – the one thing that I've seen with this team, especially with their youth, is it's really impressive how well they just kind of put things out of their mind and move on. They kind of have the etch-a-sketch head where you just kind of shake it and you're on to the next thing, um, which is something I, I kind of envy, to be honest. It's it's a tough skill to master moving on, not letting yourself get too high, too low. And so um, I think in general, uh, it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, obviously, the second half was was absurd uh, with, the, with the way that Iowa State performed there uh, from the perimeter. But they have shot around 40% on the season. Like, this is a very capable shooting team. And the thing is that it comes from so many different players. Uh, and so... They're they're very capable. They are good shooters. They're not a team that you can really sell out to try to protect the paint and say, well, we're going to let them kill us from outside because there's really not a player on the team that plays on the perimeter that you can allow to do that and know that there's not really a good chance of them getting hot. So they're, they're definitely a, a very capable shooting team. Are they, you know... 70, 80% and a half. Uh, maybe if they shot really poorly the first half and they're equalizing, you know? So <laughs> I don't know that you're always going to get 50% there, but uh, especially when they've gotten a lot better about being selective with their shots because they do have more options inside, which is something that Iowa State has not historically had as much of. Uh, sometimes in the past, you've seen teams that are pretty good shooters, but if they have an off night or if they're defended really well in the perimeter, they continue to force up shots outside. And so that's when your percentages start going down here. There's there's a lot less of that uh, kind of forcing and taking shots that aren't ideal because you have those other options if it's not dropping or if it's not looking good. Yeah, I mean, so looking at this team, right, it's a very freshman forward team, um, which can be a good Putting thing. It mildly. <laughs> could, yeah, could also be a very bad thing kind of depending. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't appear that that's been a problem this year, but I mean, what no. are the worries with the way that this team has relied so much on freshmen as you get into the meat of the schedule? And now, like you said, coming off your first loss, not necessarily knowing how exactly they're going to respond to that. Uh, it's, 
it's not so much worries. It's just things that have to be proven. Like coming off of your first conference loss, uh, you can kind of take it as motivation. You can take it as just another opportunity or you can let it get you down. And like I said, I, I really have no thought that they're a team that's going to do something like that and let it get them down. Um, almost bigger than that, I think, is the first time seeing a team for the, for the second round this week. That is very, very different um, from a lot of what they've seen this season so far, where, okay, we're coming back, especially with how quick of a turnaround it was. Um, it'll be really interesting just to see, okay, are you able to implement these adjustments? Are you prepared for a team that knows you even better, where you've been able to kind of catch people off guard somewhat this season? First, with the fact that a lot of people didn't really know them at all, uh, maybe kind of had underrated them and so they were able to come out and just be better than anticipated and now you have okay you're still sitting there in second in the conference you still have people gunning for you and oh by the way it's also people who have played against you already once and so they can have even that extra level of experience that extra level of um, knowing your game and being able to watch film of themselves against you uh, which is certainly a a very tough spot to be in. So uh, a lot of it comes down to then having your more mature players ready, uh, having them able to go out there and and make sure that they can kind of pull the young ones along with them if they do struggle at times. Uh, But then you, you just have to be ready for, okay, this is what we're adjusting. This is what we're anticipating them adjusting. For instance, Audie Crooks had, had a rough go of it against Tana Jackson because that's the most significant length she had seen. You know, Audie's a player who has put up double-figure scoring in every game of her career after the first and just barely snuck that in with 11 points here, uh, going 3 for 10 from the floor, which is not... I mean, that's that's about half of what she usually does on right. those same amount of shots. She's shooting over 60% on the season. So um, if if she's coming into it thinking, oh, man... This, I, I just can't match up with her. I, I can't do this. You know, this is just not a good spot for me as a freshman. Well, you'd probably be in trouble, but that's just not her mindset. She's someone who's going to look at the film and going to go out and try to adjust. And so if if you can take advantage of that opportunity yourself as well and also work on that and also watch the film and learn, then you can perform better, obviously. That's an option, but... Uh, It it really is uh, an interesting spot and you can't really know how it's going to go until they just go do it. So we'll learn a lot about this Iowa State team for sure. And then I think we'll learn a lot about Kansas as well, because like you said, their their backs are kind of against the wall here. They have really high aspirations this season and things have just not panned out the way that they were hoping to in a lot of ways. But you still have some some really great matchups coming up. You still have a lot that you can prove and can accomplish, especially if you believe, okay, we are more the team that blew out Baylor than we are the team that lost to, you know, Iowa State or Texas Tech, who, as a side note to give them credit, like, I've I've been very skeptical of Texas Tech in the past just because they have a lot of those times where they have a great non-conference and come in and struggle in conference play. They really stepped it up this year. Like that's looking like less and less of a bad loss, and not just because Iowa State lost to them as well. Uh, they had a terrific game plan. It wasn't fluky. It was they had a really good game plan. So side note there, but no, I I'm very intrigued. This will be 
obviously with a young team, there's always a lot to learn from games, but this is a huge one to go on the road uh, in your second matchup. That is just not really something you experience until you get to college. Yeah, I think the other thing that kind of works against Iowa State here is the fact that this Kansas team has been significantly better at home. Um, than on the road mm-hmm. or in neutral and not even, I mean, you know, the, the, the shooting percentages are way up. The fouls are way down for the most part. Um, you know, with the exception of that Oklahoma state game, I, I do think that in general, Kansas plays a lot better in the friendly confines of Allen Fieldhouse, which is normal for both sides, I think. Um, but, but I do think it, it's, uh, you know, you saw how well things had to go in the second half for Iowa state, right. To come back from what was a, uh, well, I, I actually, I should say in the second quarter to come back from what was a huge deficit, um, you know, and then from they, there kind of push it. You can't do that on the road no, against right. a team like against a team like Kansas. Like, I think the time for the dramatic comebacks is starting to kind of run its course there, uh, which you saw at Tech. And so that's the big thing is if you can get off to a stronger start, you can compete. But if you go to a place like Kansas against a mature team like Kansas, you've already done it once. It's probably not happening again. No, I mean, because, you know, especially when you're on the road, you take a look at that and kind of the emotion of the moment, right, as they're coming back. It's like, wait a minute, is this really happening? When you've seen it happen once, if it starts to happen again, you're used to it. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to be coming. You know what you did wrong last time and what you can do right this time to try to fix it. So, um, yeah, I think think the biggest question for me is going to be, Where's Tiana Jackson going to be at for this game? Like, is she going to be able to play well? Or mm-hmm. everything I've heard is that she's playing. The question is, how yeah. effective is she going to be? Um, you know, is there going to be any kind of carryover effects from the from the injury, obviously, or from the I should say from the teeth getting knocked out? Um, right. You know, so there's uh, I, I I can almost guarantee she'll probably have like a, an extra mouth guard or something like that to kind of help. You hope. Um, yeah, yeah, you would definitely hope, but I just don't know how that's going to affect how physical she is. Cause when she it is really, playing physically, it really will mess with your head. Yeah. Yeah. If she's playing physically in this game, the way that we expect her to, and the way we've come used to, I do think it will give Iowa state a decent amount of problems. The question of course, just becomes, especially with how many different options Iowa state has on the inside, makes you wonder how well Kansas is going to be able to stand up to, you know, I mean, they have three, three really good options on the inside, whereas Kansas has two, um, you know, or one and a half, depending on, on your thoughts about how well Papadopoulou can actually replicate or, you know, sub in and, for what Jackson does. And outside of, so. you know, your top three, you've got most of the team that'll go in and post up. It's I know. It's really it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. For, for a team that has as many good three-point shooters as they do, I am shocked that they get so much of their points from inside. It's well, because you it's can't weird. you can't stop everything. If you've got to stop the three, all of a sudden it opens things up inside. And when you've got someone like Emily Ryan who has height on most point guards, and then down your lineup, most of your players are going to have potentially two inches on their opponent at any given time until you get to like the center position. And then you've got Audie who's got as good a footwork as you find anywhere. Yeah, you'll find ways to score inside, but it's just. Man, it's the things I never thought I would be saying about Iowa State women's basketball in a great way. I love it. And this that's part of why I love this matchup because Kansas just man, I I love their I love their roster. I have for a while now. And when they start hitting, they have so many options. Like you haven't even seen what some of these players are capable of this season. Like I thought why that maybe had such a good case last year for newcomer of the year. I 
absolutely love her game. She struggled a little bit lately. And so if you adhere to the law of averages, which is something that obviously Coach Fenley's really into, uh, she's gonna she's due for a really good game. And I just hope it's not against Iowa State, but there's there's prior uh experience there where it's happened before. So uh fingers crossed it's it's not on Wednesday, but after that she can pop off, and I will. I'll sit and clap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of the way it usually works. No, uh, I mean, and if it wasn't for the Iowa State freshman, I think that Smiley Nichols probably would have gotten multiple more freshman of the week. Oh awards. yeah, I mean, so, she's she's putting a lot on herself too, and she's very impressive. She'll she'll certainly have a solid career there. Well, it's really funny because I think I think the big the biggest hope that she has right now for getting freshman of the year is for the Iowa State freshmen to all kind of you know. I guess cannibalize each other's split minutes and votes. right split the votes and all of that to give her an opportunity to win it. But um, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun, a really fun game. I think um, you know if you had to pick one thing, other than obviously you know how well Tyana Jackson plays, but if you had to pick one thing that's going to go the furthest to determine the outcome of this game and kind of the flow of the game, what's that? Whether it's a matchup or a particular stat or what, like what is it that's gonna define how this game is going to be played and remembered i would say hmm, i might say um points in the paint just because that encompasses a lot of uh what the teams are looking for uh for instance for iowa state they had to shoot 50% 50% 10 of 20 from three to win the first matchup because they only scored 22 points in the paint. Um, that's significantly under their season average. Um, and then on the other side, they held Kansas to 24 points in the paint when they usually are scoring 35. And so um, it whatever team is able to force more of those outside shots is able to clog up the paint and make them take it from outside. Uh, You generally don't want to have to rely on really terrific outside shooting to win a game. Even if you are good shooters, which both of these teams have um, the, the paint when both teams rely on it pretty heavily is going to be big. So um, I I do find it kind of funny. I do find it kind of funny that you say that because they are Iowa State is not one of the better teams in the nation in terms of their percentage of their points that come in the paint. Meaning that while they may look to go inside and may look to try to do that, they quite often are kicking it out, or they quite often are, you know, having to pull up for a jumper or something like that. So I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that it's necessary for Iowa State to have lots of points in the paint. But I do think the question is going to be if they don't get the points of the paint, then is it, is it because they're going in, getting challenged, and kicking it out for an open three, in which case their assists yeah. are going to be way up. Or is it an instance where Kansas is able to shut them down and then they struggle? Yeah, I mean, and just knowing the way that the first matchup went, um, it kind of depends on what their mindset is there of, okay, did they shoot well above their capabilities? Did we allow more on the outside? Uh, so are we going to try and close down the perimeter? Or do we think that that was more of a... Not a fluke, but do we think that was maybe the exception to the rule and you can continue to really clog things up inside 
Uh, yeah, the so one thing I'll say about on the road, you don't want to rely on the three. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about this Kansas team is that it seems like they have struggled a lot to be able to close out on open shooters on the perimeter. So that probably has something to do with why Iowa State took so many last time. The question mm-hmm. is, can they can you know, will they do a similar sort of thing, or will they actually clamp down on it this time? So going to be a lot of fun, Jamie. I'm looking forward to having you in Lawrence to to call this game. Uh, I'm looking forward to actually being here for the game as well. So. Uh, should be a whole lot of fun, but thank you for coming on. Um, obviously, for those that want to listen to your call of the game, um, where where's the best place for them to do that? So you can download the Varsity Network app on your phone, uh, on browser, on desktop. You can go to cyclones.com uh, if you navigate onto the schedule. They always have a link of the uh, online platform there as well. Or if you're listening from Iowa, the Midwest area, we have uh, some partner stations there. But the app is super easy. Uh, that's that's probably the simplest, most straightforward way. I, say, I, I will say that I have more than once turned on your call on the Cyclones uh, you know, uh, website there and then tried to watch the game at the same time like I used to do. The problem is that with all the delays with ESPN plus, great. Oh no, no. You guys are always ahead of the, so like, I know what's coming on the screen because I've heard it from you first. So (laughs) got a little preview. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's the same way with all the stats updates that the media gets to go to and everything. It's just like, Oh, it, it, it spoils it a little bit, but it makes it a whole lot easier to blog stuff for people. Right. When I know what's going to happen before it happens. You're like, okay, I need to be paying attention here. This is a a good play. (laughs) All right. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thanks, Andy. And that is going to do it for us today. Big thanks to both Kyle and Jamie for coming on to talk about all of the Kansas teams and, and, you know, that, that preview as well for Iowa State. Just looking forward to that game coming up on Wednesday. It is Iowa State week, essentially, because we play, you know, the women play Iowa State on Wednesday, and then the men go up to Hilton uh, to play Iowa State on Saturday. So lots of Iowa State this week. Like I said, I do have a. I have a couple of feelers out there trying to get a preview episode. We haven't been doing as many of those as we typically would uh, at this point of the year. But as we get further and further into basketball season, I'm going to try to get more of them, both on the men and the women's side, looking forward to those possibilities. But make sure you guys stay tuned. We are going to have as much as we possibly can and still be talking about football. Like It's weird to be talking about football at this time of year with both of these teams that are you know supposed to be good and supposed to be holding all of our attention that stuff is still happening in football and it's relevant enough that we actually want to talk about it so but that is going to do it for us today uh thanks to both those to to both of our guests for today and uh if you do have or make sure you guys are subscribed so you can get every episode of the podcast as soon as it comes out if you give us a rating interview five stars nice comments would be absolutely fantastic but if for whatever reason you can't do that, let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys. Get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Of course, if you haven't already, please do go out and subscribe to the podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other apps that are out there. That way you can get all of those episodes as soon as they come out. You should also go and check out every single show in the 1012 Podcast Network. It's a fantastic collection of podcasts that are all talking about the teams in this great conference. Uh, we have one for almost every single team in the conference, including uh, you know, rounding out the teams that are coming in for next year. But if you go to 1012network.com, you can get links to all the great shows that we have. You can also support us by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash 1012network. Just $5 will support any show that you want to on the network. But that's going to do it for us today. Make sure you guys visit our sponsors, Prize Picks, 
and uh, Charlie Hustle. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.